Hello and welcome to this episode of Elric Talks, the podcast where I interview authors from around the world to learn about what it's like to write a book. My guest today is author C.D. Angelo. She works as a mental health therapist in her own private practice when she's not busy writing award-winning women's fiction. She has published two novels so far titled The Difference and The Visitor, with a widely anticipated third novel, The Gift, set to release in 2024. Join us for a conversation about the ups and downs of the difficult endeavor that is writing a book. C, what made you embark on the adventure of writing the novel that would become The Difference? Well, I came up with a story one day. It just came to me. I wasn't thinking of writing a book. And um, I just felt I had to write that story. And so I just started doing it just as a hobby. One of my many artistic endeavors. I love to do different forms of art. And um, and as I went along, it got more serious. And I, I had to, you know, make sure that I was actually devoting time to finish this project. Because I knew I wanted it to be a book. Um, and then I just got sucked in more and more and more. <laughs> you know, overtaken by the writing bug. And so it grew from there. But it just started as, ooh, I like this idea. I want to just write this book. <laughs> but were you, were you a big reader before that? I didn't say a big reader. Just kind of, I think, a normal reader. Um, this is kind of strange, maybe. Um, in school, I would, you know, enjoy reading what we had to read. But I also had to read so much all the time and in college and everything that... I didn't do reading for pleasure as much as I do now or after school was over. So I kind of, I didn't really read as much for pleasure um, until I would say like my late 20s again after college, which was, you know, ending in early 20s. And, and so then by the time this story came to me, it was in my 30s. And so I was back to pleasure reading but it, it just it took me some time after being forced to read for school for so long mm. yeah i had this conversation with another author that it's that it's a bit of a shame that in school a lot of us are forced to read especially some of the classics but the kind of approach is a bit of a shame because it's not just that you read that book and you enjoy it but you are you're graded on it and you're judged on how well you read it and so that destroys the the reading for pleasure part for a lot of people yeah well i'm glad i'm not alone i always feel a little odd saying yeah i'm an author but i didn't really read a lot in, until you know later in my life <laughs> but it's a very ambitious thing you know a lot of people have an idea for a book right oh i have a novel in me but then to actually sit down and actually have the discipline to to do it and not only once right but you've i think you're uh about to release your third book now so is that something yes. is that something that's that's deep within you just discipline to when you have a goal to actually uh realize it oh yes that's how i am if i want to do something i'm going to be disciplined to do it and with this there's something about it that's so interesting to me to create something from nothing that will touch other people's hearts. It's 
it's so meaningful to me to to be able to like give to people that way and to help them feel heard and and related to and everything there's it's it's just very different than any of the other things that i've done like i crochet and i play music mm. and things like that but this is just so different it could go so wide what uh what's your life like when you're not writing what's your what's your profession your trade of choice Well, I'm a mental health therapist, and I actually just opened my own private practice. So I was at a um, a university counseling center for the last 10 years. And um, now, as of last month, I'm off on my own seeing clients. And so obviously, there it is with I like to help people, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so also with my writing, I, I find that one of the driving factors of like, wow, I hope that this can help touch someone and help them maybe think about their life in a new way or, or something like that. So yeah, so I'm a therapist. And then otherwise, I just, you know, love to travel and love to swim in my pool. I'm in Florida. So most of the year we can swim in the pool and, and such. As long as there are no alligators in it. <laughs> Definitely not. It's screened in. There's no possibility. <laughs> But you wouldn't say that your books are maybe therapy in book form? I think, well, they're fiction for sure. Definitely not, you know, nothing of like my profession coming in as facts and things like that, but in the fiction form. Like my first book, The Difference, the main character is also a therapist in there. You know, when you write your first book, you kind of have to really write what you know. Um, and so I made her a very anxious person a little bit on getting there on the depression scale and um being very clueless about herself which is so funny to be a therapist helping other people being very clueless about yourself that's not great but um what i love to do though is bring like especially in that book and then in my third one um with psychological issues to bring to light the little innuendos that aren't really talked about a lot but like weave it into the story certain things that aren't really known to the public I guess you can say but that's why it becomes so real for people because this is a very well-rounded well-thought-out character with me having over 20 years of experience as a therapist but the character is the character almost The exact replica of a of a patient that you had or is it more the combination of everybody that you saw that's a great question but no just just a, a made up person but i would think of certain people sometimes when i was writing certain scenes so you know thinking of sitting across from them and what are they doing with their hands what are they are they shaking their legs is their face red things like that and i think that you know even like me personally i have anxiety so i definitely can write from that perspective and knowing what's happening internally when i'm feeling anxious as your name obviously states see the angela you have a bit of a italian heritage within you how would yeah. you i think when a lot of people when a lot of people hear that uh their the image that they have in their mind is a very stereotypical one you know the typical big family italian big family where the, the grandma is cooking for everyone 
how <laughs> how close was that to your to your own upbringing <laughs> well it was very close actually it's the stereotype <laughs> is true um <laughs> but the difference for me is um i'm actually an only child and my parents moved from where all of my family originated from um down to florida when i was a baby And my grandparents, my Italian grandparents, moved with us about when I was five years old. So it really was just my parents and my grandparents and me. Um, and my grandma, my grandpa, they would cook all the time for us. So it wasn't for as big of a family. But um, but everything else is very accurate. And that's what I try to represent in my books. Like everything about the culture, the food, the values, the everything in the visitor the second book the superstitions that's very big in the mm. italian culture and um just different things like that i try to bring in all the aspects because that's really my identity and what made me so is it more of a approach for you to say writing what you know instead of writing what you what you don't know i would say so i mean mostly so i'm writing what i know as far as the italian culture and integrating it in mental health when it fits um and sometimes places i've been but also there's a lot of research i've done for all three of the books that i've written so far where i haven't been to some places and i'm i'm writing about it and i'm learning a lot um so so the research is very needed. And I have to say, I'm very happy that um, in my third book that I'm, I, it's not out yet. Um, I, I write about the wine industry, the wine and music industry. And I wrote about certain places in California and I've been to Los Angeles before, but I hadn't been to the specific areas I wrote about. And this summer I went for my birthday and, um, And I went to the specific places and I was relieved that I wrote them accurately. <laughs> yeah, I was like, thank God. Um, I mean, of course, I can go back and edit. The book's not out. But um, yeah. but yes, that was great. And I actually just just now in September put up some reels um, on Instagram and Facebook about those places because it was just so much fun to go and see the Italian influences in Los Angeles, which a lot of people don't know about. What about those influences? Is it really? I would have thought that Los Angeles has more maybe Hispanic influences than Italian. Right, right. Yes, this is the thing. This is what I love to do in my books: is find what people don't know about an area. So in Los Angeles, um, there were over a hundred Italian immigrant-owned wineries at one point downtown, which makes no sense to us now. Because if you've ever been to L.A., it's a concrete jungle. Like, there's there's no land. There's no <laughs> pastures or vineyards or anything. Um, and so it, it was it was an area that a lot of people went to, and they had their vineyards. They had their wineries. Um, and little by little, it, it just, you know, faded away, especially with Prohibition, which was in the U.S. in the 20s, where it was illegal to sell alcohol. Um so it, it, you know, it dwindled and yes, the Hispanic culture and specifically the Mexican culture really took over there. Um, so there's a street in downtown called Alvera street. And that is a lot of where 
the center was of all of the wineries and everything. And now it's very Mexican influenced, but I went and I went to the certain places I wrote about in my book and there are still Italian influences there. Like there's an Italian American museum there and one building that it's in says, um, you know, it says on the building, the Italian heritage hall and things Mm -hmm. like that. So it's, that stuff is very interesting to me because I love history. But where did that Italian heritage, where did, did those wineries go? Did they all go to like, I don't know, Napa Valley? No, they just, they just lost their businesses. They faded out, you know, they tried different things. The, the owners, like they tried to sell wine to churches for communion mm. and they tried to do things uh, like for medicinal purposes and just nothing worked. There's really one winery left there that's from 1917 called the San Antonio winery and their vineyards aren't there. Their vineyards are far away now, but the winery is still there on the original property. Um, so it, it's really, it's, it's so unique and it's something that a lot of people don't know about. They don't go to LA to learn about the Italian history of the wineries that aren't there anymore. You know, that's super interesting. And as you said, you're so interested in in the history of that, but but you're not writing a history fiction like a history novel, but you're writing women's fiction. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah, I integrate in historical facts to the stories. But your but your interest in history is not big enough to say, okay, I'm just going to write a historic novel. I don't think so at this point. I mean, because the research I have to do for even what I do is a lot. Mm. <laughs> so I don't think I have it in me to to write in that time period and make sure every little piece is accurate to that time period. You know, for example, like mm-hmm. you're writing about something, say, from from the early 1900s. Like, what if I get the clothing wrong, the, the, the shoes wrong, the, yeah. the way they would say something wrong. Like I, I want to be very accurate and factual in how I'm writing. And I think that would take away from my freedom of, uh, uh, like in my voice when I write and everything. I just don't, I don't think that's for me. I think the way I do it is the way that is the best for me at this point in time. I can never say never. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, some of the bigger authors, they, have their own, uh, what's it called, like research services, right? Where they, where there's a couple of people and they say, oh, I want to know what know, 19th century London, what people were wearing. And then they do the research and provide it to them or they have the editors who then uh, cross-reference and check that everything is right. But that's probably also like a question of budget right to some extent oh yeah for sure but also you know it's just funny because you think you're gonna want to know certain things and you do but then when you're writing i should say me not you (laughs) when i'm writing i i'm like oh well what about this or i need this specific detail and then i'm i'm the type of person the way i do it i can't continue writing in the scene like i will stop and i will go research and i'll come back to the scene and i need to know exactly when i'm writing because like the cities in my books are characters like they i need the details to be able to describe how this building looks where this building is how it's situated on the block like all of that that matters to me Mm -hmm. and and people who have read the two books that are out 
they've said how much that makes a difference to the story. So that, that really makes me proud. Um, so the research, even if I had someone researching for me, there'd still be things that I would have to spend the time on to do. Let's get into how you, how you write your books or especially how you wrote your first book. So as you said, you had this idea in your head and you knew you're going to write a book about it. Did you just sit down? Did you take a vacation for two weeks and just write it all down? Or what, what was the process like? I had this idea for the difference, the first book. For, um, I had the ideas come to me and I just started writing down the notes of it. And it was very inspired by my grandpa who my grandpa, my Italian grandpa and my Italian grandma, they are not with us anymore. Um, and at that point, they weren't either. This was in 2012 that the idea came to me. Um, and so I just started writing it all down. And then as the, it actually, I think it was like around this time of year, actually, like August, September, something like that, maybe. Um And then actually in January, the next year, 2013, I, I sat down to try to write some stuff. And I have a different process now, but at that point, I just started writing. I, I was just going to see where it went. Um, and I wasn't as consistent with it for the first book until it got a little more serious. Like I took a three-year break in between writing at one point. <laughs> Um, and, and I moved, I started a new job, it, you know, just got settled and eventually thought, I really need to finish that book and then got serious and then would write every weekend until it was done. Um, but now my process is very different. I, I make a little outline of the main points I want to do. I make an outline of, um, Some of like the way I'm describing certain characters and the stakes in the book, and um, and then as I go along, I, I write an outline of what has happened in each chapter because it gets hard sometimes. So mm -hmm. my process now is a lot more detailed and a lot more structured, and I make sure to write on a consistent schedule when I'm writing a book. But is there now really a big planning phase of I don't know maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months where you? try to make sure that the story is sound and that the narrative arc works? It's all different. Um, I'm not under a contract right now. And so I have the luxury of just taking my time. Um, and so like every book has been different. I let it come to me. And sometimes I have to stop ideas. <laughs> so like, for example, I have... Oh, gosh, at least three other ideas for books that I'm like, nope, 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 nope. And I just will write down quickly somewhere those ideas and then like go back to what I'm working on. Um, so, you know, it, it'll just come when it comes. But if I'm concentrating on something, I feel like I, I like attract the ideas to me. For example, um, for The Visitor, my second book, um, I started getting an idea by talking to my friend on the phone about her she wanted to open a store eventually with all kinds of different new age type stuff so in the visitor the main character does have a new age store so i started talking one day to my friend and then i hung up the phone and all these ideas started coming to me 
And I thought, huh, where would that be? And where would that be interesting to have? And New Orleans came to me because that's a very spiritual kind of place. And so um, then a couple weeks later, something like that, had a Italian-American magazine that came in the mail and they did a whole story on New Orleans and the Sicilian immigrants there and the history there. And I thought, Oh my God, like this is a sign obviously. Um, and so then it just kept growing from there. And, and so it's almost like I think about something and things keep coming to me in different ways. Um, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. But when you're waiting for that inspiration, As you said, you're writing every weekend. Is that like is that like a, a solid schedule that you know every Saturday from eight to ten you're sitting down to write and then you're just looking at the ideas that you had throughout the week and you're writing them out? Um, I usually go in to the actual writing once I have the whole story planned out. I plan it loosely, like I know these major plot points, but then when I'm writing it's it's whatever comes in that moment. Um, so there's like a structure, but a freedom within the structure. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I choose to usually write on Sundays and I'll do it. Like usually I'm done like grocery shopping and things like that. Let's say 11 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And then I'll write with taking a break for lunch, but I'll write until like four or five o'clock, something like that. So I know I'm going to rest on Saturday. I'm going to write on Sunday And then I'll do other bookish things during the week. But I also have my full-time job. So I can't write as much during the week usually. Um, and so Sunday is like the writing day for me. Do you have a limit of how many hours you want to write? Or is it how many words you need to write? I do what comes. Um, so I want to, I want to push myself to get something out to to get somewhere to make some progress but i don't like to set a word amount or an hour amount or anything like that i feel like that doesn't work for me i'm just gonna write until i feel i'm done writing for the day my answers are so like <laughs> so artsy i'm so sorry they're not <laughs> they're not like you know like they're they're not specific um I can't answer those specifically because I do what I feel. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. I mean, when you said that it took you 10 years to write your first book, it also makes sense then. So I know. Well, the second one, though, I wrote in three months. And then this next one I wrote in three months. And then the editing takes a little bit of time. But um, but yeah, like that's that's probably... Yeah, I never thought about that. That's probably why also it did take... It took eight years until publication um, for the first book um, because, yeah, it was like, what I feel? When do I feel like it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a lot of the authors that I talked to, they can't stress enough how important it is for them to have a strict schedule. Some of them, they write early in the morning before everybody's awake. Others, they write, you know, when they come home from work and to have a, to have a set a, deadline that they need to have this and this many words by that day or they have to write every day for an hour or a thousand words or something and they always talk about how it helps them to be more consistent 
because of course it's very easy to be distracted right and to just mm -hmm. feel like ah, not today <laughs> i'll do it tomorrow oh yeah no but i i know i'm like this is a writing day this is what i'm doing and that's it and and when i'm writing if i see the number at the bottom you know of the word document i'm like i'll i will think oh i want to really get to this but if I don't, it's also okay. Because I'd rather have the quality than the quantity. Hmm. But do you have a set deadline when you when you have plotted everything, when you have the outline that, I don't know, by 10th of December, you have to be done with the first draft of it? Yes, I do. And in fact, um, so the, the last two books, they came out a year apart. And this next one, I could have done that again, but I decided to, to see about querying for an agent this time. So I could have, yeah, I could have released that book if I just self-published again this year. And so I, 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 I think it's good for me to have the three, like about a three month writing kind of time span. So yeah, like last year I wrote this new book that isn't out yet, The Gift, um, I want to say about about now September yeah it's September to November December something like that um and I knew okay I really have to get this done to then have time to edit to then have time to send off to agents by a certain day so like I do have those kind of deadlines in mind but how does that work out when you say you write more you you rather just write a hundred good words than force yourself to write a thousand. How do you then manage to to reach those deadlines? Well, that's a great question because some days I will write a lot and some days it won't be as much. So they equal out. Mm -hmm. So there's no anxiety when you see that the deadline is coming closer and closer that you kind of estimate how many words you need to write and you see it's becoming more and more unrealistic. <laughs> um there is some anxiety but also it's it's so far just me like i said i'm not on a contract or anything so mm. if it is one weekend later it's not a huge deal you know mm. usually unless i'm until i involve someone else say an editor or somebody and it's just me it is okay like to have a week or two of flexibility And if that's the case, I will definitely write during the week or edit during the week or something like that. So yeah, I'll kind of make up for it. You self-published the first two books, as you said. How much mm -hmm. help did you get from, for example, a professional editor, professional cover designers? Well, I actually was with a small press for the first one and it did not work out. Um, so I left. And um, I had a lot of good editing with them. So I would say more developmental kind of editing. And then um, I wanted to get it out because, as I told you, it was eight years. I couldn't wait any longer. So I didn't want to query again. Um, and so I, I hired a editor that was more um, line and copy and then a proofreader and of course the formatter and a cover designer. So that's how that one got out. So those professionals helped me with that. Then the second one, the visitor, I queried just like a few right at the beginning. And then I thought, no, nah, I don't really want to do this. I just want to get it out. And 
So I, I went ahead and I hired a developmental editor and then the rest of the services, like I had said. Um, and so, I mean, they were everything. Like the team I had for the visitor were just amazing. So for this next one, if I don't end up going with an agent, um, I would definitely use the same people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would you mind disclosing how much you invested in the book so far? Um, let's see. So the visitor would be more of an accurate thing for a self-published person. I got a very good deal on the developmental editor because she was just starting out. Um, Gosh, I want to say, so like all together, let me think all together with that, let's say two to 3000 for all of those services. And with that one, I actually didn't hire a proofreader. I used four or so different friends that are really great in that area. So, um, so that I, I saved a little on. But yeah, I mean, I think for quality work, all the prices are going to be different with whoever you have, but oh, yeah. it's definitely a few thousand dollars. And did you expect to spend, uh, to have to spend that much or were you surprised as you, as it came to that? Well, with my first book, it probably was about the same. Um, and I was surprised. I thought, oh my gosh, but I also really wanted it out. And it was, mm. you know, I had a like, I'd already spent so much time. Let's just do it. And then the second one I wrote while I was still with the publisher for the first one. And I thought like, it would just be, you know, going with them again. And again, it was done. I was like, okay, let's just keep going, you know? <laughs> and now at this point, I just know that's what it's going to be. And mm. I, I think it's, it's worth it though. I, I wish it wasn't that much money, but it's <laughs> worth it because it's a quality product product out mm. there. You know what I mean? I would never want to put my name on something that isn't quality. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everything from the outside to the inside, I feel is quality and that's how it has to be for me. Through how many different drafts do you go before the book is finished? <laughs> You're going to hate my answer for this <laughs> because <laughs> it's not, um, it's not like draft one. Okay. I'm done. It's kind of like, okay. it's like, I'll do <laughs> you're going to hate this because it's, I'll do it and I'm doing it as I go. And then I'm like, okay, this is good. But then I'll like, then I'll wait a little bit and I'll go back and then I'll edit again another scene or something else. So I don't know mm. an actual amount of drafts for something, but the amount of editing that goes in is intense. I think the editing, I mean, first of all, the editing takes longer than writing the book. Mm. Like it is, it is way more intense than people ever could imagine that aren't authors. Yeah. Right, um, writing down, so it, writing down the first draft and just writing everything down that comes to your mind. It's, it's more yeah. the easy part. Yeah. I mean, they're both hard in their ways, but that is probably the easier part because the editing, you're really going over it and over it and over it. Mm. Um, I mean, and down to, I mean, the books are published and you still find typos and, you know, <laughs> then you have to, for me anyway, I'm not going to let it sit out there when I know there's a typo and then you got to mm. go through, here's the formatter and get the file again and upload it to the uh, sites again and publish it again and yeah it's yeah. just 
it never ends, really. <laughs> <laughs> so how much how much time do you think that whole editing part compared to let's say the but let's let's include exclude your first book, the eight years. Uh, yeah. compared to the three months of the first draft, how much time goes into the editing part then? Yeah, okay. So for the visitor, let's see. I wrote it in three months. And then let's say I took two months to edit on my own, sent it off, get it back. I edited for another month and a half, sent it off to the... Um, copy per copy editor person got it back went through it again sent it to the proofreaders got it back went through it again probably twice at least and then sent it to the formatter and then you're making sure again that it's okay uh, but at that point you you can't really change a lot it's just kind of like oh here's a typo mm -hmm. but yeah so it's a solid nine months or something like that i would say yeah so mm -hmm. like writing the book say in percentage wise i would say that's like a 20 percent of the whole time and there's really like 80 percent editing mm -hmm. and how do you how do you like editing certain times of it i The developmental part is challenging because you're really needing to make sure if you take something away that it doesn't appear again later in like any little way, you know, or you're adding something, then it changes something later. It's just, it's very detail oriented. Um, and so you gotta, you like, I have to keep notes on certain things sometimes and and make sure like okay you know like look out for this when i'm continuing reading so you almost have to have like a couple different ways of reading when you're going through developmentally so that's why that part takes a really long time um so i don't love that part too much but i like the other parts i'm more like if i were just to be an editor i would love to do copy editing i like that kind of thing with punctuation and grammar mm. and things like that But you didn't think about just, I don't know, for the copy stuff, just, I don't know, using an AI tool or something like that. Oh, gosh, no. No, 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 no. I trust that. I trust myself with that, you know, because, of course, that's that could be great for certain purposes. But um, I need to make sure I've read every word. What's your general stance on AI and generative AI specifically? You know, it's funny because remember, I'm also a therapist, so I'm torn on it because there's certain things that it could be useful for, I guess, like anything, like it could be used for good or evil, you know, mm. like in, so like in the therapy world, there are certain ways that it could be helpful. But in the writing world, uh, I don't love it because I, ne I never want a computer to do something that I could do, or maybe better sometimes. I don't know. <laughs> It's to come from a human. <laughs> yeah. To have some thought with it. Yeah, nobody needs you to write books anymore, right? Oh, I mean, I, I still fully believe, though, that no computer can do what humans can do. I mean, like, to, to integrate in, in an artistic way the things that I integrate into my books... I just, I, I wouldn't even know how to tell a computer to do that. And I mean, you seem to be pretty good at what you do. So you probably don't have to worry that much. Because I mean, when you look at your Amazon page, 
uh, when we look at the difference, uh, what it says here, Next Generation Indie Book Awards, Chiclet Finalist, International Book Awards, Women's Fiction Finalist, Best Book Awards, Women's Fiction Finalist, and the list just goes on and on, and also with a visitor too. So Thank you. You seem to be rather good at it. So even if AI comes for authors, you'll probably not be the first one to go down. <laughs> I hope not. Yes, thank you so much. That's so sweet. I, yeah. you know, as authors, I think it's very common to struggle with thinking, am I good at this or what? So some days I'm like, okay, I'm all right. And then some days, oh my gosh, why am I doing this? Like, mm. I'm horrible. You know, I mean, it just, I think that's human nature. You kind of vary on your confidence level. So yeah, sometimes I, I look at what I've achieved and I think, okay, okay, uh, maybe I'm all right. I'll keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, when you see, when you've written a book and you see that you end up being a finalist in a competition somewhere. How, how, does that, how does that feel? I I still can't believe it. I cannot, I cannot believe that I just write because it's fun and people enjoy it as much as they do to give me an award. Like <laughs> I'm sitting right here at my desk and I have two actual medals next to me from one of one of the the competitions called the indie book awards and i'm i'm staring at them thinking what me like i i, I just it, it not that you know i i need an award to value what i do but it definitely helps me to know okay like okay i i can continue it's it's people enjoy these books and is there also some pressure, maybe some, some anxiety when you think about that the first two books have all these all these finalist rounds and then what about the third one, right? If if there's <laughs> if, if you're not a finalist for the third one, is that going to be as appointment or is it just you know, how do you deal with that? I definitely thought about that from the first to the second because I, I have five awards for the first one and the second one so far I have three but there's some competitions that are coming now in fall that I'll find out the results um, and it's like what does that mean like if I have five for this and three for this but maybe maybe I'll have five for this I don't know but <laughs> yeah definitely the little anxious person inside me is like what does that mean is one better than the other and yeah. what you know also with the third one, honestly, like it's a, it depends because you have to enter these contests, right? Like mm. they don't just find you. You have to enter and you pay for them to consider you. So that's ending up, that's some money too there. Mm. And the reason I did these so far was because I wanted to try to get an agent in the future. So to build some kind mm. of reputation of look, like the my, my writing has you know, kind of a, a critical eye value here. So take a look at me. Now, with the third one, if I don't end up going the traditional publishing route and I just decide to go self-published, which I'm fine with either, honestly, I I don't know that I would apply to any awards or anything. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, I think if I went indie for the third one, I'll probably just always be indie. And I'll just not even enter awards anymore. So it'll just be like, it's the fun of it. And that's it. Because, um, you know, 
it, 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 it wouldn't matter. Like I'm not trying to get, uh, get an Asian or go traditionally published from that point on then. Mm. How, how successful was that? Were you contacted after you were in those competitions by agents? No, no, no one has like reached out to me or anything like that, but, um, I'm in the querying process now for this third book, The Gift. Um, and so we'll see, you know, nothing yet. But I also had to kind of stop all of my efforts for that basically this whole summer because I opened my private practice. So um, so now that the practice is settled, I'm going to start getting back into the querying and try for the rest of the year. I wish I had three of me. <laughs> well who doesn't yeah <laughs> i need an assistant i need like all i need a clone <laughs> yeah i mean i hope you i hope you find a great agent it's it's difficult i, I hear from the authors all the time that they're all looking for agents and that it's a, a very depressing experience and the couple agents that i had contact with to to speak to authors there is a big There's a wide range of, 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 of quality when it comes to that. Some, are, some agents are awesome. I, I would like to work with them every day. And then there are other agents and I regret even responding to them. It's, oh my gosh. Uh, yes, yeah, so, some, you know, the interviews that we do here, some agents, they practice that with the authors. You know, they make sure that everything works technically, that everything is top notch. And then there are other agents who really don't do any of that. And then I have to deal with the technical problems that the person doesn't know how anything works. And so, I mean, I do that with the authors generally too. But then I, I just ask myself, you know, why do you have an agent if they aren't really doing anything? Yeah, yeah. I've heard both ways too, right? And that's a little bit of why... I, my heart is very split on do I just continue with full control how I am now mm. or do I go that way? I know like there's benefits to both. And so we'll see. I, that's why I'm just I, I'm taking a very different approach this time than in the past when I've queried. I just feel like whatever's going to happen is going to happen and I'm good mm. either way. Yeah, that's probably a very healthy outlook on life in general. Yeah, not to be so rigid. It's it's hard. It's hard for me who, you know, I'm very, like I said before, I'm very disciplined. I, I want to achieve my goals, but I needed to gain some flexibility in my thinking over time to be able to still do it for fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a therapist, I would expect an attitude like this, right? If, if you were like yeah. uh, overly uh, clinically depressed uh, person here, it's, it's, would be probably a different situation, right? So it's... exactly, because yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, there are there were times where I did feel some mild depression from the circumstances, mm -hmm. and it gets very very rough. And so um, this it's a tough business to be in this this writing world. So I I've. I'm really forcing myself to just keep reminding myself of like, nope, it's, I'm doing this because I like it. I love it. It's fun. Keep going, you know, past rejection and past this disappointment and whatever, just keep going. No, yeah, the everyday life of an author is far less glamorous than many people think. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know, with musicians or actors, I think most people have an idea that it's, you know, they go to auditions and they get rejected and it's, that it's tough and that only a handful really make it. But I think when it comes to authors, many people still expect that they're just going to write down their novel and then they're going to become a millionaire and then they're going to make a movie about it and <laughs> uh, exactly that's the dream i mean <laughs> what a dream i always i always saw especially the difference as a movie i feel it has this like to me this eat pray love vibe mm -hmm. and i just even before i wrote it as a book i saw it as a movie and so I hope someday that happens. That would be amazing. But regardless, I'm just, I need to tell these stories. I feel like it's just, mm. it's fun and it's important, especially for my Italian American culture, because there's not a lot of representation out there. Well, now there's one more author representing it. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> I would like to do a. Uh little bullet round with you where I just throw a question at you and you just give a, a quick answer okay. and it's going to be 10 questions try not to think about it okay um, I'm a little nervous but I'm gonna try <laughs> yeah. it's it's easy questions hopefully if you don't know okay. how to answer just say next <laughs> okay okay what are your three favorite books oh well Definitely Eat, Pray, Love <laughs> uh, by Elizabeth Gilbert Prep by Curtis Sittenfeld. And then classic The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And if you could live inside one book, which would it be? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I, I, oh, I can't, I can't stop thinking about The Great Gatsby now. So I'm going to say okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you can have a dinner party with any author you want, living or dead. Who do you choose and why? Mm. I think it would be so much fun to be with Sophie Kinsella. She writes the Shopaholic series, and I just have always loved her. I think she would be so funny to sit and talk with and have an extensive amount of knowledge about the writing uh, business. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Hardcover or paperback or ebook? Oh, probably paperback mostly. Mm -hmm. And fiction or nonfiction? Mm. Oh, I love both, but fiction. Romance or thriller? Hmm, I'll go romance. A 100 page book or a 1000 page book? Oh, geez, 100, because then I'll read 10 books <laughs> to equal the thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Reading alone or reading in a book club? Always alone. Reading or writing? Mm. Oh, that's hard. I'll say writing. And what is the number one most valuable lesson that you learned as an indie author? Persistence pays off. All right. Then that's the end of the bullet round. Whew. You did well. I did it. <laughs> and... You brought us a little a passage to read from one of your books. Yes. Yes, The Visitor. I'm going to read a little passage from it. So this book, first of all, is about a woman who owns a new age store in New Orleans, and it's being threatened with destruction 
from her ex-boyfriend from high school who is now a developer. And she, and this woman, Mary, also lives above her store. So it's her home and her business is going to be demolished. So she's trying to save her building. Um, but this scene is right at the beginning when you will see what happens. Okay, here we go. A few moments later, I'm stopped from flipping through digital prints of famous New Orleans sites by Zoe whispering, Hey, Mary, um, that guy you dated in high school, you know, him? Yeah, Nate, I spit out his name and have the urge to throw up my breakfast. What about him? Well, isn't that him over there? She points inconspicuously as if scratching her chin to the next row of the festival and looks back to me. I glance over and feel an immediate fire burning in my chest. That's him, all right, Nathaniel Buford, the devil incarnate who shattered my high school heart by abruptly breaking up with me after years of friendship and a solid year of dating. My 17-year-old soul didn't know what hit it when my first love, my first everything, and best friend I trusted most left me standing by my locker, speechless. He didn't even give me a reason. That jerk. What kind of a person does that? I begged him for an explanation because it didn't make any sense to me. We were perfect, then bam, poof. He walked away from me like it was no big deal. And somehow he managed to make the breakup even worse by showing up to prom a few weeks later with another girl. Can you believe this guy? He was supposed to go with me. I'd had my red gown ready to go, so I still showed up to the dumb dance alone, even though I had a feeling I'd regret it. Well, I was right. I stood there frozen most of the time, watching him dance with his date. That night killed me along with his bonus heartbreak action that I can't even focus on right now, and obviously all of my future romantic relationships, he cursed me. All these years later, I would recognize that know-it-all smile and air of arrogance from a mile away. I wish he were a thousand miles away, but nope, he's standing way too close for comfort. Oh no, I see those wheels turning in your head, Mary. This isn't good. Zoe's eyes grow large as she grabs me by the arm. She can try to lead me away from disaster, but my rage from hurt can't be restricted. I break out of her grip and start walking towards the prick himself. Heck if I know what I'm doing, but my feet are carrying me forward. I get in front of his face, look him in the eye, and say, Nate, with stone-cold confidence and enunciation. He squints his hazel eyes, swallows his bite from the po'boy in his hand, and says, Mary, how are you? His voice is weightless and happy. He attempts a hug, but I leave my arms at their sides and lean back. He tilts his head while pushing his wavy, dark brown hair out of his tan face. My five-foot-three-inch body is spewing fierceness and ready to attack his probably six-foot-tall stature. Fight what, you ask? Anything that comes out of his repulsive mouth, all is fair game for me. So, what made you slither back to New Orleans? Each of my words are pointed. I thought you'd moved away after high school, and your parents, too. Uh, yeah, we did. I'm here on a work assignment, but I come back to visit sometimes. I've just been unlucky not to run into you. How have you been? His voice remains lighthearted and gentle, like we're still best friends and partners. The nerve of him. I'm wonderful. I'm fabulous. My eye contact remains unbroken. I don't know why, the, why you're so bothered to see me. Finally, he comes out of Nate's world and into reality. I'm glad you stopped by. Can't we leave the past in the past? I know I have, and it's always great to see old friends. Nate has more nerve to say. 
Well, I have left the past in the past too, I add with sarcasm. Believe me, I have. I only want to see how long I must try to avoid seeing your face around here. Guess it's not too long since you're only here for work. Mary, can we finally move on? His tone lowers. Mine raises. Move on? Didn't I just say I have? Have fun here. See you never. I walk away on that statement and don't turn back. When I return to Zoe, she informs me. He watched you walk away, then bobbed his head down. Maybe he feels guilty. I couldn't care less, I say, as I move behind a food truck as a barrier between Nate and us to catch my breath. I know what he put you through in high school, so I don't blame you for having all those feelings come up again. And I know you never need anyone and blah, 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 all the BS you say, but everyone needs a friend to listen. So that's me, and I'm here. She leans forward and makes strong eye contact. I let the truck catch my body weight. Ugh, I can't believe he can still get to me like this all these years later. Nothing affects me this much. But why does the topic of Nate, Satan, Buford still affect me at all? Zoe waits a few seconds before responding. Because you loved him. That's it. And that's from The Visitor? Yes. And the next book, The Gift, is coming out when? Well, I am querying that right now. And so the date is undetermined, but hopefully next year. That's going to be my first series. So that's really exciting. I'm actually revealing my series name this week in my newsletter. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be an ongoing endless series or? No, book of three or okay. a series of three. Yeah. Okay. And do you have everything just somewhat planned out and plotted out in your mind? Somewhat. The the next two, they're loose. I have general ideas, but um, it's it's starting to come for the second one here and there. <laughs> okay. See, where can the listeners find you and your books? Well, my website is cdangeloauthor.com. C-D-A-N-G-E-L-O author.com. And um, my books are everywhere. Um Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, everywhere, you know, on iTunes or Apple Books, sorry, and uh, Kobo, the ebooks are everywhere, the paperbacks are um, everywhere at this time, but they may soon just be on Amazon. Well, and that's about it for today. Thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elric Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com. That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.